From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, corneal hysteresis. All of the parameters that measure the stiffness were stiffer for hyperopic eyes than myopic eyes. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. The subject of corneal hysteresis has come up a number of times in recent peer review articles and in this podcast. Hysteresis is a technical term and is an expression of the difference between inputs and outputs in a system. In the context of the cornea, hysteresis is a description of the relationship between the deformation of the cornea, usually by means of an air puff, and its recovery to its normal shape. It's both related to corneal rigidity and to corneal viscosity, itself an unusual concept. Corneal hysteresis measurement has been a subject of discussion amongst glaucoma specialists for some time. Dan Reinstein recently published results of a study examining hysteresis in the context of refractive error, and I'm happy to welcome him as my guest today. What is ocular rigidity, and why is it a parameter worthy of study? Well, rigidity. Um, You know, if you have a soccer ball uh, that is not well inflated, it's going to be soft, and if you you know, pump it up a lot, it'll get harder. So ocular rigidity um, relates, we, we, we all know this, obviously relates to intraocular pressure. Um, but it also relates to the stiffness of the sclera and cornea, uh, which of course is also a function of the, probably the thickness of the sclera and cornea. And so given that we now have a device commercially available for many years now, um, which is, the, you know, the ORA. It's, it's basically a modified bidirectional applanation air puff device. Um, we are able to look at the response of the cornea uh, according to an air puff that's thrown at it and how it accelerates away and recovers back towards uh, its, its original shape. And based on the shape changes that can be monitored, we can say certain things about the structure of the eye. Um, I think one of the, one of the reasons why we, we published this paper recently, uh, to, to, where we simply compared a very large group of um, hyperopic eyes and a very large group of myopic eyes, and, was to basically try and tease out some of the confounding elements in interpreting the data that comes out of this machine. Um, I wrote an editorial a couple of years ago, uh, which was published in the Journal of Refractive Surgery, where we uh, basically at the journal, um, and I'm the head of the biomechanics section, 
we, we decided to no longer review or, ex, or even review uh, papers that were going to be public, uh, submitted that were only going to report uh, what is called corneal hysteresis, CH, and the corneal resistance factor, CRF, um, because these factors were found to be so uh, noisy, if you like, uh, amongst populations of eyes, that while you could show, yes, that the, these factors go down in the way you expect them if you do LASIK, the, the amount of noise in the information was so huge that we didn't think it really had a lot of clinical value. And enough papers had been published already trying to distinguish keratoconic from non-keratoconic, you know, from normals, uh, showing massive overlap uh, in, in these parameters that there was just no point in publishing any more papers. Now, Cynthia Roberts, who um, has obviously a great interest in coronal biomechanics, and I were talking about uh, the confounding elements. And so we simply took, a, well, a previously known fact with Friedenwald many, many years ago uh, reported that the rigidity of hyperopic eyes is higher than the rigidity of myopic eyes. And he based that um, on uh, the theory that the volume was different in these two. So, you know, a smaller eye with the same thickness that uh, would be have more rigidity than a larger eye with the same wall thickness and whatever. Um, that was, that, by the way, that's in the 30s. So this is really old stuff. Now, we said, okay, let's test this. And what we found was that if you just looked at CRF and CH, um, these parameters, if you just look at them in a raw fashion, the correlations um, between um, uh, myopic and eye, there were some parameters that implied more stiffness in hyperopic eyes and some parameters that implied more stiffness in myopic eyes, which were contradictory. When we then took the same data and controlled for age and for intraocular pressure, everything became logical again. And all of the parameters that measured thick, uh, stiffness were stiffer for hyperopic eyes than myopic eyes. And so everything started to make sense again. So the purpose of publishing this paper was for the community out there to realize that if they're going to do any studies using the ORA, CRH and CF and these factors that come out of the ORA, they need to also account for intraocular pressure and age when they are interpreting their results. Now, just, just to be clear, Dan, hysteresis is, is a measure of rigidity. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 the, granted, I mean, it's not the exact same, same thing, but the implication is, is that, that the two things are inversely linked, that if the hysteresis is lower, that the eye is more rigid. Yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's the basic way of thinking about it, yeah. Um, hysteresis, for, it just fit, you know, if you look it up in the dictionary, I, I, I could do that now, but I, from memory, uh, it means that the, that the path of return is different from the path of, of departure. Uh, to write, like a, you know, a rubber band, you, know, you, 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 you stretch it out and it goes back the same way that you stretched it out. Uh, whereas something that has hysteresis would uh, degrade, let's say, in one, in, in, along one path, but then recover along a different response path. And so what was done in the, in the ORA was to look at 
the peak of the uh, produced by the applination of the cornea and the peak produced by the return of the cornea and somehow the del- the difference in those two peaks was called hysteresis so it's not strictly speaking we're not actually measuring hysteresis it's just it's a the, the word hysteresis was used uh, to describe difference between outbound and inbound um, whereas hysteresis in a mechanics standpoint has a very specific meaning meaning that a substance will be let's say more more have more tensile strength when you stretch it uh, than when you have it come back to its original shape you know some what's that stuff um, silly putty uh, silly putty exactly that's the best example exactly. I was just trying to get it. right you, you, you pull it and it snaps if you pull it too fast um, and it doesn't really go back but if you leave it on the table, it spreads out like a flat sheet of paper. So it's a very interesting... So that has hysteresis, basically. It doesn't behave the same in one direction than it does in the other. So our study was really nothing more than um, a way for us to reintroduce, if you like, the use of the ORA in clinical studies, in clinical practice, in ordinary clinical studies, by saying, by effectively going... Uh, one step further from my editorial where we said we're not taking any more papers or just CRF and CH because this thing is too messy, to saying, oh, actually, if you use the CRF and CH and these parameters in conjunction with intraocular pressure and age, um, then you can use these uh, parameters to measure the biomechanics of the eye. And that's the other point to make, which is that it's not corneal biomechanics, it's not corneal resistance factor. It's really the whole eye that's involved in these measurements. Um, so we call it ocular biomechanical response, not corneal biomechanical response. Now, Dan, all, although your study looking at the hysteresis measurements of hyperopic compared to myopic eyes did not focus on etiology, why do you think that rigidity is lower in myopic eyes? Is it simply that myopic eyes are longer? Or conversely, is it that eyes with kind of natively higher hysteresis then become longer and become yeah. more myopic? Great. Uh, probably both. Um, you know, we, we didn't look at that, but that's what you have to, that's what you have to assume. I mean, Friedenwald in the thirties, um, based it on, you know, the principles of, um, of volume. Um, but yeah, I, in fact, well, as eye surgeons, we know that the sclera of highly myopic eyes is thinner, right? When we cut into it, uh, is, is thinner than the sclera of hyperopic shorter eyes. Um, and I think that all these things, play a role. We know uh, that a treatment to prevent the progression of myopia was based on this idea. Uh, Fyodorov was banding, putting scleral bands axially around myopic eyes to prevent them from growing, thinking that if you strengthen the sclera, the eye wouldn't grow. Um, we know that this is, doesn't work, or at least the way he did it doesn't work. Um, now, but at the, at the time, it seemed pretty logical. Um, people have talked about cross-linking sclera um, to prevent um, myopic progression. My, my favorite uh, work uh, so far on preventing myopic progression has been um, the work done by optometrists using contact lenses, Brian Holden, 
uh, in Australia who, uh, and, and many others now, of course, now, who have shown that spherical aberration is what can be responsible for, uh, for myopic progression. The idea that if peripheral rays, you know, rays landing per, in the peripheral retina, if they are landing, if focused behind the retina, so if they're hyperopic, then the retina tends to try and grow out to reach those rays. Whereas if the peripheral rays are myopic, then there is no stimulus for the retina to go further away and grow away. Meaning that if you have an eye with positive spherical aberration, meaning more peripheral myopia, you will reduce the progression of myopia. Right, that that was the the thinking in the peripheral defocused paper, which mm. which we actually covered in this in this podcast when the paper first came out. Oh, really? um, so, uh, uh, Dan, there, there, there's which, by the way, I stood up in the middle of an optometric meeting, the biggest optometric meeting in the UK. Uh, I was invited to speak about LASIK, but I was in the audience during this uh, myopia control uh, session. And I blasphemy. I stood up and, and and asked a question. I said, "Well, sounds to me like we ought to be doing LASIK on eighteen-year-olds with progressive myopia, because we're by doing a myopic correction, you're inducing positive spherical aberration, and therefore you will reduce the progression of the myopia. You will reduce the ocular lengthening, and you will increase retinal health." And the the room went completely silent. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Anyway, so Dan, there, there, there's there's work being done in glaucoma now on hysteresis, with the idea being that if you have a very I don't know what the adjective would be hysteretic cornea, that maybe that relates to flaccidity uh, at the at the level of the of the lamina. But wow. com- coming back to the to the front of the eye, what role does IOP play in hysteresis and in confounding measurements of hysteresis? Well, the higher the pressure, the stiffer the eye. Uh, you know, so that's the way to think about it. That's the easy way to remember it. There's nothing more complicated than that. So um, you can have an eye with the same corneal thickness, the same axial length, the same scleral thickness, the same corneal curvature, but if the pressure is lower then those uh, CH and CRF will be different. Hysteresis measurement is not employed clinically to, to any substantial extent. In, in what way may hysteresis measures be, be used in, in clinical practice, or, or, or can they not be yet? Well, I'm not, I, I cannot speak for its use in glaucoma. I, I'm really not up on that at all. I, I, I plead complete ignorance, but... Um, I will say, um, as someone who's a full-time corneal refractive surgeon, uh, that currently I don't really see a huge value in those ocular biomechanical parameters uh, in clinical practice. Um, uh, There are too many cases where a cornea is perfectly healthy to undergo corneal refractive surgery and the CH and CRF are low. And there are cases where the opposite is true, where the the CRF and CH are high, and yet I wouldn't want to um, do coronary refractive surgery on the patient. So there's just too many false negatives, too many false positives. However, having said that, uh, we now need to go back and reanalyze everything that we're doing 
in conjunction with taking IOP and age into account. Because if we now take out this confounding element, then perhaps the machine will start to give us information that we might be able to use for adding to our armamentarium of keratoconus screening pre-op, which is, of course, you know, one of the most important things that refractive surgeons can do. Um, but also, uh, I would say this machine is, you know, is, is, is terribly important for a refractive surgeon to have from the standpoint of glaucoma, to bring in your question about glaucoma, because <clears throat> we all know that applination um, pressures, Goldman applination pressures, change artifactually by flattening the central cornea and thinning the cornea and changing its, 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 its biomechanics. So we can no longer rely on uh, the intraocular pressure measurements with Goldman applination. The ORA has uh, the ability to compensate for the corneal changes induced by refractive surgery. And so as a tonometer post-refractive surgery, it is a very, very important tool. And one of the things that we always do with patients that have ocular hypertension or even glaucoma, we're going to do corneal refractive surgery with that on them. Um, by the way, you know, the, the latest incarnation of femtosecond lasers, the Vizumax, doesn't change intraocular pressure practically at all during the treatment. So there's absolutely no concern now about creating a flap in a glaucoma design. Um, we, we, we produce a report for the patient uh, or for the patient's optometrist or ophthalmologist giving them a shift factor so that we know what the Goldman measurement shift would be produced in this particular eye by using the ORA as a gold standard. So we measure Goldman and ORA pressures before, and then we measure Goldman and ORA pressures afterwards. And based on the IOPCC, which is the corneal compensated IOP measurement by the ORA, we're able to give the surgeon and say, look, the right eye measures three points lower uh, than it is, and the left eye measures six points lower than it is. And that way, glaucoma specialists can have a uh, more continuity on their IOP measurements. Not that IOP is as important a uh, parameter in and of itself in managing glaucoma anymore as it was when you and I were residents, but, um, but nevertheless, it's, it's, it, it, at least it gives them continuity in their, in their care. Dan, I, I want to truly thank you for, for uh, as always, being so fantastically generous with, with your time. I mean, you're, you're a uh, you're a, you're a champ. You really are. Yeah. Well, Josh, uh, I want you to keep on asking me to do interviews. Dan Reinstein is medical director of the London Vision Clinic in London, UK. His paper, Comparison of Ocular Biomechanical Response Parameters in Myopic and Hyperopic Eyes Using Dynamic Bidirectional Applination Analysis, appears in the June 2014 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Ask questions of Dr. Reinstein or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.